Welcome to the Dose of Caesar, the podcast that talks to world travel. That t- the podcast doesn't talk to anyone. Where I speak to world travelers to uncover how their adventures around the globe have impacted their lives. Um, today's episode is a part two with Miss Gretchen Cook Anderson. You can check out part one, which is uh, the episode right before this. Um, but if not, you can also listen to just this part two. Um, Ms. Gretchen Cook Anderson is the award-winning Associate Vice President and Assistant to the President for Diversity, Equity, Inclusion, and Anti-Racism. And she is also the Director of Diversity Recruiting and Advising at IES Abroad. She is a marketing and PR professional with 13 years of experience in international education marketing and 25 years in, in the marketing field. Gretchen's work garnered the Nationwide Excellence in Diversity and Inclusion in International Education Award, in 2014 and 2016 from Diversity Abroad, and an IES Abroad Achievement Award in 2018. She holds a bachelor's in political science from Spelman College and a master's degree in international economics and Japanese studies from Johns Hopkins University. I hope you enjoy this episode with Ms. Gretchen Cook Anderson. So this is round two with uh miss gretchen anderson which gretchen cook anderson right yes the, do you it. say the whole the whole last i name sure is... do <laughs> okay no yeah i was just making sure <laughs> yep i'm i'm uh cook anderson's actually my legal last name so okay. it um it's hyphenated my maiden name is cook and my married name is anderson so i just pushed them together because i was already a professional, you know, I was already had, had, you know, years of work experience and in, um, but by the time I got married, so I figured rather than just drop my, <laughs> drop my maiden name, which I was known for at the time mm-hmm. that I would just kind of add the Anderson. And plus I think it just makes it a little bit more interesting surname. So yeah, no, definitely. That's <laughs> actually what my mom did. My mom did the exact oh, same really? thing. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, she has cool. both, both little last names. <laughs> um, hey, I, I, I like her way of thinking. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. She's definitely a leader. <laughs> she's there definitely you go. A leader. <laughs> Um, She's doing her own thing, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. I think I get a lot of like my personality from her. Uh, I was actually just talking to her about it uh, last night. Um, but I wanted to ask about your, your role. Like, um, did you begin at IES as a, uh, doing diversity and inclusion? I did. So I was, um, so I'm a marketing executive by training, by profession. Mm. And so the work that I had done, um, all the way up to the point of joining IES abroad had all been in the realm of primarily global marketing and communications and public relations um, for various um, organizations, including NASA, the space agency. And uh, I worked for Howard University for a number of years in Washington, D.C. And uh, some other organizations, Edelman Public Relations, which is a major um, public relations agency. Uh, so I'd worked, you know, for, for different companies and organizations and, um, but the study abroad kind of always kept coming back to me. Yeah, <laughs> It's funny how it just kept circling back in my life in one way or another. And, um, the folks at IES abroad, I had stayed in touch with, um, some of the, um, leadership at IES abroad over the years after working with them, um, in my capacity at Howard university 
And um, I, I'm a person I tend to I tend to stay in touch with people, <laughs> not for any particular reason other than I'm fond of them or I have deep respect for them and just sort of stay in touch here and there. How do you stay in touch? Just sending an email every once in a while? Yeah, just, you know, send a text, call, send okay. an email, you know, every once in a while, you know, when they're on my mind and just say, hey, I was thinking about you. Hope you're doing well. Uh, hope everything's, you know, going well in your life and whatever. And And it's interesting. I mean, I just try to practice that in general. Um, and it's interesting how, even when that's, even when it's not your objective, that somehow when you're someone who does stay connected with people over time, Mm -hmm. it's interesting how that can impact your life, uh, in the long run. Right. Because the fact that I had stayed in touch with those folks, um, my family moved to Chicago for my husband's career And I sort of just checked in with um, the IES Abroad folks who I knew um, because IES Abroad is headquartered in Chicago. And I was basically just reaching out to them. I had a job already with NASA that traveled with me when when we relocated to Chicago. And I just sort of reached out just to say, hey, you know, by the way, my family has moved to Chicago and I'm just... Wanted to say hello and reconnect and and let you all know that as a as an alum, you know, of our IES programs, I'm here, you know, I'm local. So that if you, you know, if you need an alum to help with anything or represent the organization at a school from, you know, here or there, you know, just to volunteer some time or something, if it would be helpful, just wanted to let you know I'm here, I'm around. And so that's that's really where it started. Um I was invited by um, IES's uh, CEO at the time, Mary Dwyer, to um, attend their what was then the 60th anniversary for IES, um, where they invited alums back from all over the place to kind of, you know, attend this big 60th anniversary dinner. And, you know, that was real. And so I, you know, I said, yeah, I would love to be there. So I went. (laughs) That's where I really had an uh, opportunity to sort of reconnect with different folks who I had met over time at IES. Um, and uh, the next thing I knew, I the head of HR reached out to me unexpectedly. And, and, um, and he said, well, you know, we're looking for somebody to, you know, take on our, um, this, this desire that we have and that our board really wants us to um, execute, you know, this, uh, an initiative that will help us to diversify our student enrollment. And, uh, your name has been tossed around <laughs> um, as, as somebody who, you know, people seem to have a, a interest in, you know, maybe talking to you about this if you are open to it and, you know, a conversation. Um, and I thought, oh, OK. And it was out of nowhere and, for you. Yeah. yeah, for yeah, it did. And um, so um, I met the head of HR at the time, who's no longer with us, but he was with us for years. Um, I met up with him for lunch. Um, He shared with me more of the concept that they had behind this role because it would be um, a new role for the organization. And, uh, and he said, well, you know, if you think it sounds interesting, you know, I, I think we'd like to engage you in conversation and more conversation about this. And, and I thought, Hmm, well, yeah, you know, it might be kind of cool. I had I had been at NASA um, working in um, c- communications and marketing PR for the agency 
for about eight years. And so I don't know, I was kind of ready for a change anyway. And, and I thought, oh, this would get me back where I'm in a space with, with young people, with college students. And, you know, I always found, I find it very energizing to be around college students. Oh yeah. Uh, yeah. You know, Dreamers. you can't get old around college students. I mean, you know, it's like you, you kind of can stay up on like what everybody's wearing, what's the music everybody's listening to, you know, mm-hmm. what's the, what's going on with like per, different perspectives on you know, issues around current events, like what's going on. And so I'm a person who I like to keep my finger on the pulse, you know? And so (laughs) I thought, yeah, this could be kind of cool. I could go back to working with students again, like I did when I worked at Howard University. And I really enjoyed that work. So, Mm. um, yeah, so it just kind of came about at the right time for me. But yes, I came in the door at IES Abroad working on um, enrollment diversity and uh, developing an initiative using the tools of marketing that were part of my my profession, um, using the tools of marketing to, uh, you know, grow the diversity of the students who choose to study on IES abroad programs, mm-hmm. including you, Cesar. <laughs> including me. You too are a result of those efforts. <laughs> I, is it because of Dr. Moore? Was, it, was it Dr. Yes, Moore part of yes. that initiative? Really? That's right. I oh. intentionally talked to him about the, and you know, he and I brainstormed on creating that initiative uh, as a, as part of it and, it. and it was mutual. It had mutual benefit. So for us, from my vantage point, it was to help drive more um, diverse students to study abroad on, I, on an IES abroad managed program for Dr. Moore and for University of Texas, Austin. It was also serving a similar purpose, but on their end. You know, they wanted oh, to, they, yeah. you know, they looked across the across the spectrum of, of the landscape of, of UT Austin students who were choosing to study abroad. And there were a lot of students who they didn't see who were not participating in study abroad at um, in the numbers that they really hoped. Um, and, you know, students of of Hispanic or Latinx heritage were not really studying abroad and in the, in, you know, in with a participation rate that they would really would have wanted, mm-hmm. um, you know, uh, black, students who identify as black or African-American were not studying abroad in high numbers. First generation college students were not in general, were not studying abroad in high numbers. Um, and so, you know, students who were perhaps not born in the United States, but uh, came from families that immigrated to the U.S., uh, and settled here and acclimated here. Again, that's another gr- population of students who were not really choosing to study abroad. So they were looking at who wasn't studying abroad. And so were, so was I, right? Yeah. And so it just so happened that for Dr. Moore and for me, there was a confluence of goals. <laughs> um, so, yeah, so that's where, you know, how our conversation about the program that you went on, that's that's why that conversation took off. And why we were so determined to actually turn that, the ideas from that conversation into something real. Mm, You mentioned, so like all these groups of kids that weren't studying abroad were the like underprivileged kids as like Dr. Moore uh, explained it to me, like all the groups that you mentioned. What, um, you know, one of the strategies that Dr. Moore talked about for getting more students who underprivileged, who were underprivileged abroad was getting their favorite professor to be like the one going abroad. That was one of the strategies, but oh yeah, which was one of the reasons why we had Dr. Moore lead the charge because yeah. <laughs> he was, I, I, so I used to call him and he knows this. I called him the Pied Piper 
right? I don't know. You, I don't know if you know this kind of like old fairy tale, you know, thing about the a pied piper. It's a, it was a young man who you know literally played a pipe <laughs> and walked through a town attracting people to follow him oh. where he went, right? And so that's the, you know, where the term Pied Piper came from. So he, and so Dr. Moore was like a Pied Piper of sorts on the UT Austin campus because of how well-respected he was mm-hmm. by the students. Um, you know, students who just even in some cases idolized him and yeah. just sort of follow him wherever he might go. You know, there's, <laughs> they trusted that he would not lead them in a bad, down a bad path. And so they, you know, they, they fit, he figured, well, you know, and he understood, uh, the respect that students seemed to have for him and, and that he was, uh, kind of an influencer of sorts on campus as a professor. And he, he knew that he, I think recognized that. And so when we talked about this whole Pied Piper effect, um, <laughs> I was like, let's use it. Let's use it. Students love you. They adore you. They respect you. They know that you won't lead them down a, you know, the down a bad path or the wrong way. And let's take advantage of the fact that they feel about you the way that they do um, and combine that with a high impact activity like study abroad. Let's get those students out of the country. Let's get them abroad, exploring the world and learning some really fascinating things about the world and themselves um, that they might not otherwise, you know, really uh, decide to do without Mm -hmm you leading the charge and so that's actually you know it was all very strategic (laughs) well that's exactly Um, what happened with me like it was all for a good cause like we you know we knew that um for students who don't otherwise think about studying abroad or who might know about study abroad but assume that it's not for them and you you spoke about you know underprivileged or you know students coming from economically disadvantaged households mm-hmm. um which you know some sometimes does make up a lot of the students of color on a campus but you know of course we know not every student of color comes from a disadvantaged household but yeah. um yeah. but there are a number of, of uh, students of color who who may right and so we and and students of color in general have not traditionally studied abroad um, in large numbers. And that's something that we already knew. And so we thought, you know, let's use the tools, whatever we have to encourage and inspire more of these students to study abroad. And if that means putting Dr. Moore in front of you and saying, come with me, (laughs) come (laughs) with me, you know, come with me to China. Let's go. <laughs> you know, then, you know, we, we, we thought, let's just see if, if, if they'll come with you. Right. If they if you lead the charge, will they follow? And and you did, Caesar. <laughs> <laughs> I did. I did it because it was like it was I mean, it seemed like such a great opportunity. I was and really like a big part of it was I really wanted to be around Dr. More and more. I was like, see? I was see? like, I don't care where this guy's going. Let's <laughs> let's just go. <laughs> I mean, whether look, whether Dr. Moore was going to China or Sri Lanka or Australia or Spain, you know, I think we felt confident that with him leading the charge that a lot of the students who would not otherwise even consider leaving the country, Mm. that they would trust him enough that they could go with him and that he would support them and, and, and have their, have your back and, you know, and be there for you as a resource. Um, and as someone who you just, you know, you know, and trust and respect. And so, um, you know, that really worked out quite nicely. The first, we, 
we uh, hosted the first cohort uh, in that program from UT Austin. I think it was 2013. And because uh, you went in which year? Was it 2016 and then 2016. 2017? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So the first year was 2013, I believe. Mm. And um, and then, but we there was so much of a response from students with applications that year. The school was astounded. I mean, oh, wow. it it went from you know when he and I first proposed the program, it was a little interesting because I think the administration really wondered if. Um, the students who we were trying to attract to this program, if they would actually go, there was a little bit of skepticism about, well, you know, I don't know, though. I don't know if these students will go. Um, these are students, many of whom it's their first time leaving the United States. Uh, for some students in that first cohort, uh, the first time on a plane. Mm, yeah. And I, and I really think that, you know, the school really wondered if students would really do it, if they would go. And uh, but what we did, we tried to lay uh, a strong foundation for the program. Every single aspect of the program was intentionally thought through uh, in thinking about who we were trying to attract. We tried to really carefully think about what would be the academic focus of the program, what kinds of excursions and and, uh, you know, whether it's guest speakers or excursions, field trips, um, activities, you know, hands-on activities, we oh, tried yeah. to really carefully think through what would these students be interested in? What mm -hmm. would they find interesting? What would they find useful as far as skills development? Um, you know, so we, we were thinking all that through as well. And then we had to think about how do you market to or attract the students on campus, not just Dr. Moore standing in his own classroom setting and, you know, trying to encourage students to go and telling them about it. But what other means would we employ to attract students to apply for this program? So we had to really carefully think that through. We also thought through how do we orient you to the experience that you're about to have in a pre-departure way? Like how would it be oh, yeah. pre-departure you know, conversations should you be having? You know, how do we get this group of students from UT Austin to become more of a cohesive unit, a cohesive group, even before they leave the United States, so that you can also support each other while you're abroad, since for many of the students, it was going to be their first time outside of the country. Mm -hmm. um, and so we did a lot of, you know, kind of careful consideration about what makes the this group of students possibly a bit more unique and different than the traditional student who would just on their own choose to study abroad? And then what kind of supports can we put in place for them so that by the time they're leaving the country, they're feeling as self-confident about this experience as possible. Um, they're feeling as connected with the other students in the cohort as possible, right, even before they go. And then what kinds of activities can we design for them that they'll experience while they're in China, while they're on site, that will also con continue to foster a sense of you know, cohesion within the group, cooperation within the group and conversation within the group yeah. um, so that you all would feel like, OK, you know, this person next to me over here and next to me over here, they, they're with me in this. Right. And and, you know, and I feel that if I need anybody I've got them as backup in addition to Dr. Moore. And so we really tried to do a lot of thinking about all of that before that first cohort was, before we worked to launch the program and begin attracting them. So by the time you came along, I think we had already, we'd gone through maybe Three. Say, four, 
three maybe or four. four cycles of, of this or three or you might have been the fourth cycle, perhaps. can't remember. I, I know we started in 2013. So it may you may have been the third cycle or fourth cycle somewhere in there. And um, but we really tried to put a lot of thought into who these students are. Um, what kind, what are they, what do they tell us or what can we glean from them as to what they might need or want or be interested in? What might their concerns and curiosities be so that we can try to be as responsive to all of that as possible in the way that we've constructed this program. So we really tried to put a lot of thought into it. And um, it, we had 39 students go that first time. Wow. Um, right off we, had the over, bat. we had about a hundred applications. <sighs> Yeah, and then like, uh, and I think it's been up to. I think Doctor Moore told me they took like 60, 70, or eight. I don't know. It's up yeah, there. The, I think the whatever. I can't remember the last cohort. The largest cohort I want to say was about sixty, or it was kind of right in that right in that mm. kind of um, area. But it was in the fifties. It was at least in the fifties. Um, I can't remember if it reached sixty, but it was kind of right in right in there. Um, so the program grew. Um, without Dr. Moore or others having to do a ton of extra promotion on campus, because a lot of it was by word of mouth. Oh yeah. So you had, yeah. I mean, you had the first cohort, first cohort goes, they love it. They're, they think it's amazing. So of course they're going to come back to campus. They, you know, they're going to tell all their friends and, wow. you know, they're posting on social media. They're doing, you know, so the word got out about the program and plus we couldn't be, we, we had a whole, um, a whole set of students who we weren't who weren't able to go that first time because we only had 39 slots, right? So then you had all of those students and their <laughs> pent up demand as well. So that second cohort, it was a combination of students who had applied the first time around, who tried it again, <laughs> and then some new students who had come on board. Um, you know, and I think we ended up with like 42, 43, I think the second time around. Um, because we only we could only um we could only accommodate, but so many students on the program. So we did have to set some hard numbers each time. You know, as you're talking and explaining all of the planning you guys went through, you're kind of taking me through my experience of like, oh, wow, this was all designed. Like, hey, <laughs> and it worked. It worked. It was because I, I also went on other programs that weren't huh? um, as, you know, one of the things that struck me about Dr. Moore's programs were how you guys thought out the fact that you wanted to give the students some sort of work experience. So we were placed in an internship, some sort right. of like real world experience. Real world. Right. Other programs don't do that. And mm -hmm. um, I, I just thought that to me was like such a gift because I wasn't thinking of that as a freshman. I wasn't thinking about getting some real world experience or as a sophomore. Mm -hmm. um, and uh, so thank you for that. But I, I just, I want to ask, are all, do most of the programs have some sort of real world experience with IES or is Dr. Moore's programs like really something special where it's different? So we do actually um, offer the option for um, internships with mm. most of our programs abroad. But keep in mind, those are semester programs. That's a program that runs the entire semester. Oh, right? okay. Because um, Dr. Moore's is just one month. Exactly. So it was unique from that perspective, being a, what we call a faculty led program by you know one or two faculty members you know going abroad with a group of students, generally speaking, we don't have like that internship element. Mm -hmm. It's integrated into a shorter term type program like that. Um, 
But that was one of the things that we talked about, you know, Dr. Moore felt was very important for the, again, a lot of the students who we were trying to attract are students who are also very um, interested in what's the practical element around this experience. So yeah. not just the, let me go off and explore the world and have my mind blown and all that. That's all great. Right. But mm-hmm. is there anything that's also for me going to be super practical about this experience? Am I going to learn a new skill? And yeah. is there something new, you know, intangible that I'm going to be able to take away from this experience that I can add to my resume, in addition to just the fact that I went to China in in this particular case, which is great to also add to the resume, but is there anything else in the way of skills building um, that I can walk away from this experience with as just an extra, like icing on the cake? um, Definitely, yeah. I can also add to my resume. So again, that was something that we felt was an important element for the program. And other than like... um professors like picking the right professors and um, having something enticing like an internship experience what else have you seen that works to get more students from diverse backgrounds from perhaps underprivileged backgrounds what else is working and to get more of those students abroad and what could um students uh alumni like myself do to help get more students is there anything that comes to mind when i ask that yeah, lots of good stuff on all fronts. So, um, well, what can you do? There's always like a few different things that come to mind. So one, we always encourage our alums to give back to IES abroad. So, you know, we, we have a pretty robust, um, advancement office and full-time staff that actually reach out to alums of our programs across all generations and all backgrounds, um, to try to get, you know, encourage people to give back. And those monies actually go, um, they help us to continue to fund all the scholarships that we offer, the grants that we offer to students. Um, you know, that, so, there, so this is important, you know, when we talk about affordability and accessibility. Um, you know, there's a, there's a reason why, you know, I don't know if you've gotten that outreach, but a lot of our alums, you know, you're supposed to be getting it. But, you know, <laughs> and I'm supposed to be asking you for money. But anyway, so you know, but there's a there's a reason why we do that because number one, um, we want to make sure that all of our that our alums are you know aware of the opportunities that we're continually providing young people um, Mm. and the value of those experiences, because then they too can reflect on what it meant to them, you know, when they study abroad with us. But, you know, and it's kind of like, well, now it's your turn to help somebody else make this possible. You've gone, you've had your experience, you know, it's changed your life. You know what it means to somebody, right? You know what it means. And so help us help students have the same experience mm. that you had, right? So there's that piece of it, right? But it's beyond money, beyond money. That's, <laughs> that's like an obvious one, right? But beyond that, um, you know, we ask um, alums to help us spread the word. You know, if you know of other students who are part of your own social network, maybe it's nieces and nephews, it's cousins, it's, gotcha. you know, it's neighbors in the community, you know, young people who you feel, you know, could really benefit from this experience, especially students coming from underrepresented backgrounds or coming from, um, you know, because, you know, these are not always the same. So I don't want to conflate them, but students who may be coming from um, underrepresented backgrounds, racially, ethnically, you know, based on the religion that they um the, the faith that they follow mm-hmm. um, and so forth. But then there's, you know, and then students coming from disadvantaged 
how, uh, economically disadvantaged households who, again, traditionally have not had access to a high impact opportunity like this. You know, we want you to help us spread the word that yes, indeed most students who want to truly study abroad, let us work with you to make it happen. You know, you'd be surprised at how possible it actually is, even mm-hmm. though you may be thinking that it's not, um, you know, help us talk to their families. If students are, you know, if, if there's a, you know, a cousin of yours or a neighbor and the student, you know, really wants to go, but the family is a little hesitant and, you know, you have the opportunity to share your own story and to say, you know what, it's going to be all right. Like, it's going to be fine They're They may be far away. They may go far away for this experience, but Think about what it's going to do for them and, mm. and you know, how it's going to expand their worldview, how it will, you know, adding this to their resume will really make them stand out to potential employers when it comes time to, you know, trying to find that great job or getting into a wonderful graduate program. It's really going to help them. This is all it's not just about. It's not just about like this luxury item of like going abroad and yeah, you know, it's not just a trip. No, yeah, it's a, no, it's, it's a, not a, just like this. Is not just like a little trip. It's yeah. not vacation. It's not vacation. And so, um, but so you can also help us a lot with that because you've already lived the experience. So you can help us to spread the word and talk with others. No, definitely, definitely. And you mentioned making it possible. You mentioned scholarships and making it possible for for kids to work that you work with kids to make it possible. Cause one of the things that immediately comes to mind is that I don't, I don't have the money, right. That's for a lot of kids. And, um, how, how many scholarships go on given at the end of like each semester? Is that a large amount? Because I've talked to other people at the, um, at the university of Texas, the mm-hmm. study abroad office. And they say that every year, like there's thousands or more than thousands under thousands and thousands of dollars that go ungiven just because people don't apply. I would say the same thing for us. I mean, up until the time when the pandemic hit, we were giving away $6 million in additional aid. So that's in addition to whatever scholarship that a student may already be on, you know, at their school that's part of their financial aid package. Um, You know, we had additional monies to make study abroad possible through... um, We have special grants for students attending historically black colleges and universities, Mm -hmm. attending Hispanic serving institutions. And, you know, UT Austin is what we call an emerging Hispanic Mm -hmm. serving institution. You haven't quite hit 25 percent, which is the threshold, but you're like right there. I think you guys are (laughs) like 23 and a half percent or something like that of students who self-identify of Latinx or Hispanic uh, heritage. And so, um, We've got special grants, you know, to help support those students. We have all kinds of like donor sponsored scholarships. So Mm. these are and a lot of them have been sponsored by alums of our programs who have gone off into their own careers, have done very well for themselves. And then they've turned around to give back by establishing a scholarship for students um, who may come from under-resourced backgrounds or may come from um, a background, an underrepresented background. And so we've got those monies available to students. We have public, a public university grant um, for any students at schools who are attending schools like UT Austin, right? Public gotcha. universities there. I mean, there's just, there's a ton of scholarship money out there um, that we provide every year. And I would, I would agree that, yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't all get, it doesn't all get expended every year. Um, no matter how much we tell students that the money is available to them. So yeah. I do want to underscore that, that there is money to study abroad. Mm. 
Gotcha. Gotcha. Yeah. No. So apply, apply, apply. Um, well, I think, uh, I think that'll do it for this round two since, uh, we're coming up on time, but do you have any, um, final closing thoughts that you want to put out there or perhaps advice to students who are on the fence of, um, studying abroad? I don't know if I asked you that last time. I don't think I did, but (laughs) I don't know. Like I would say that if you're, if you're sitting on the fence, um, if you're sitting on the fence when it comes to thinking about considering this, um, amazing life-changing experience, come on over to the wild side is what I have to say. Come on. Take the jump, take the leap. Jump off the fence. Come on off the fence. We're going to catch you. We're going to catch you. I promise. And you no, know, I mean, it, it really is an amazing experience. It is not without its challenges. Um, but that's life, right? Life is not without its challenges. It's not without its challenges. It's not without, you know, moments of uncertainty that may happen across the, you know, the journey, your journey during your time abroad. But what I can say is I have yet in over, over 10 years of working with students at IES abroad, thousands of students, I have yet to encounter one student (laughs) who after the experience has said, well, I regret that. Like that was a disaster. I would never do that again. I have never encountered a student who said that. Um, if anything, what they have said is it was life-changing, transformative. There are all these adjectives that you can use. Um, you know, altered my worldview. I see myself differently. I see the world differently. You know, it was absolutely astounding. You hear all these uh, wonderful adjectives about it and phrases. Um, but that's what I end up hearing. And that's even coming from students who originally were sitting on the fence. Oh, yeah. Who were right where you are right now, if that's what you're thinking. Um, it's those students who will say, you know what? I am so glad that I did that. I, there's no way I would ever regret what I did. That was one of the, you know, definitely one of the most transformative experiences I will possibly have in my lifetime. And, um, and I can tell you, here I am 33 years later. And I can still say that still after all the years that I've lived, even after that experience, when I think of what were the, what in my lifetime so far have been the most foundational experiences that I've had as a human being studying abroad in Japan with IS abroad is absolutely like, I'd probably say in my, definitely in my top five, I'd almost say it's probably in my top three, but it's like, it's, you know, outside of having children, right. I'm a mother, (laughs) you know, that's definitely, that was a game changer, right. Definitely getting married, having kids game changer, right. Um, Studying abroad, total game changer. And then for me personally, um, my four years matriculating through my alma mater, Spelman College, because of the impact that that four years and all the years after that part of being part of this Spelman College sisterhood, again, game changer. So I'd probably say it's probably my top three mm. most pivotal experiences of my lifetime to date. And so the fact that I can say that 33 years later, I mean, that's pretty powerful. Oh yeah. Yeah. No. And, um, you know, just, I wanted to take the time to thank you because it, like you said, it, it changed my life. Like I, I went to South Africa and then I went to China and then I went to Thailand and then I went to Cuba and it all started with South Africa. I wasn't even thinking about it because yeah, it just, uh, it opened my world up and I was like, there's so much to see and understand out there. There you Um, go. So thank you. It changes your whole trajectory, right? Yeah. Yeah. Of what you end up doing, spending your time (laughs) 
<laughs> focused on. And, and, and so you've gone to what, how many, is it four or five countries now? Yeah, it was, uh, it's been four. It's been four. Yeah. The four. Okay. Mm-hmm. So I'm at 26 and hoping to, and I'm, and I'm still, I'm still going, right. I've got a bucket list of oh, like yeah. more countries that unfortunately the pandemic disrupted, but I'm, <laughs> <laughs> I've, got, I've got more on my list. And so you just think about it, you know, you're, you're, you're in a race now. How many, how many countries you got to get to by the time you're my age? <laughs> oh yeah. Oh no. It's a race. I got That's a personal go. challenge, Caesar. It's a personal challenge. Oh no, yes. I'm, I'm, I'm all for it because uh, that's what I, I want to start traveling again. And so I'll definitely let you know, and I'll make sure to stay in touch so that, so that I, when, when I hit that 26, I'll be like, Gretchen, I'm at 26. <laughs> um, like yes. Oh yes. Well, well, I look. I, I certainly look forward to it. I look forward to it. And thank you so much for having me, inviting me to join you and and the audience for your podcast. And you know, I just I really hope that you know. I think any of us who um, join you for uh, the podcast, um, talking about this topic, I think you know, we hope that there's something along the way that we say that will encourage somebody, that will inspire them um, to jump off that fence (laughs) and and take the leap, you know, into the world because it's so cool. Mm -hmm. And I think that um, you can't go wrong, really. I mean, I I just think it's a magical experience. I think it will help uh, a lot of people. I know it'll get a lot of people out there. Um, But with that, um, thank you so much. If if you guys want to know more about IES, you can check out Instagram at IES Abroad. You can reach out to Ms. Gretchen and cook anderson on linkedin and um thank you to everyone listening um we'll see you next time hey there if you enjoyed this episode well green light new episodes of the dose of caesar come out every week so make sure to follow and subscribe on whatever platform you get your podcasts if you feel that more people should listen to this podcast and share this episode with your tribe if you want to connect with me or if you just want some extra doses of cesar of caesar of cesarin bingui then you can sign up for my free weekly email newsletter called the caesar encyclopedia where i share what i learn every week or you can reach out to me on Instagram at the dose of Caesar. We'll see you next time.